Welcome back to Physique Science Radio. I'm your host, Lane Norton, with my co-host, Sohi Lee. Sohi, how are you doing? Hey, doing awesome. Got 15 hours of sleep last night, so I'm in a great mood. 15? Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but I'll take it. I don't think I'm I've not ever done that my it. entire life. That's. <laughs> I bet you woke up feeling amazing. Did you so, PR today? <laughs> I felt completely drunk. I was like, where am I? But sometimes you just have to. Wow. That's... Uh... That's pretty awesome. I got a sleep you, PR. You have to wake up to go to the bathroom or anything. That's a B too, you know. But like, that's <laughs> like just from a, like a physiological perspective, yeah. that seems really tough. I was out. Wow, wow. I'll have what she's having. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, guys, we have a very special guest with us today. We have Dr. Spencer Nadolski. Um, Spencer's going to talk a lot about his background and everything, but. Uh, we wanted to give a chance to kind of introduce him to our listeners who may not be familiar with him. Spencer, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got into fitness, and what made you decide to pursue higher education as well? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I think Sohi might have had a bottle of wine and some Xanax last night is what it sounds like. I'm not <laughs> giving away my secrets. I declined I declined to answer. He's a doc, so he'll... Is he'll that what they say? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the basically the gist of it is my dad uh, is a biology teacher and the wrestling coach of the high school, and my mom's an elementary school teacher, and my brother, who's uh, four years ahead of me, was really into sports. So I was kind of the baby, and we kind of grew up with uh, nutrition and exercise and science and biology just pushed to us all the time, and so. You know, I wrestled when I was younger. I lifted weights, actually. There's a video of my brother when he was like nine and me five or six lifting weights um, <laughs> and with my dad. We're all posing down. I didn't have any muscle then, but uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so my brother went into uh, high school as a, a state champ right away in wrestling uh, his freshman year. And ended up being a four-time state finalist, two-time state champ, and went to Michigan State to wrestle. And so I came in as a freshman in high school. I was pretty good at, you know, wrestling and football in middle school. And I came in thinking I was going to be a state champ. So, and my dad's the wrestling coach and everything, and so everybody had high expectations for me. Well, I I ended up not even starting for the team. I was JV. I, I, you know... Didn't even start, let alone become a state champion, which is phenomenal your freshman year. The difference, a little bit of the difference was he was five foot his freshman year, and you know he's only five six now on a good day, he says. Mm. Um, and I came in around like 5'10", 5'11", so I was pretty thin, but I, you know, I was muscular, but pretty thin. And so I, I, I sat there as I didn't even start my freshman year. And said, you know, I got to do something. And I saw the, the, the heavier weights, the 215 pounders, the heavyweights. And they just, they weren't, they were kind of sloppy. They weren't that good. Um, and I said, well, what if I could look like my brother at my height and just get up to that weight and just beat the crap out of these guys? <laughs> and, so, and so I literally, like a man on fire, I, you know, I got really into the nutrition science. Um, you know, I know we all laugh about testosterone nation uh, you know, T Mag, T Nation, or whatever, but that's that's basically all that there was. Oh, I I don't laugh at them at all. Oh, <laughs> by the way, did they use any of my pictures this month? They seem to be in the habit of doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I read that you know guys like uh, Dr. Eric Serrano and John Berardi and all those guys. I used to read all that stuff and really get into the nutrition and exercise and just 
and just more so like a madman, like just worked my tail off. So I went from 145 pounds my freshman year to uh, sophomore year, 189. Um, you know, there's some you know puberty involved there, of course. But like, I, I actually started this year. I didn't go to state though my sophomore yeah. year. But then as the puberty continued, and I just I continued to lift like a madman and just eat as much as I could, a lot of protein, a lot of carbohydrates, and got up to 215 pounds. So this is in a couple years span, went from 145 to about 210, 215, and then became a state champion and went up to that weight and just pummeled guys, you know, and then eventually, I eventually went to college to, wanted to play football, ended up, you know, long story short, ended up wrestling heavyweight for UNC Chapel Hill for the Tar Heels, but, um, wow. I, yeah, so I was, I, I love the idea of this nutrition and exercise science, it was so cool, because like, I saw what it did to me, and I thought about wanting to do, you know, sports performance and stuff, but what I really want to do is go to medical school, and I thought, what if I just took a fraction of what I did? you know, from a performance aspect and then turned it into health, you know, for the general population. Just a fraction, if I could just take a fraction of that. So I went to medical school, um, decided to go to medical school at uh, Virginia Tech's osteopathic medical school and um, studied general medical school. It's four years, two years in the classroom, two years of rotations, and uh, really got into obesity medicine. Um, and then How did you move into that direction? Yeah, so I, I first, it, so it's funny because in college everybody's like, "Oh, you're a big, you're a big dude. You need to be a, an orthopedic surgeon." You know, so that's what that's what the meatheads do, kind of right. thing. I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I, I I shadowed my uh, school, the the University of North Carolina's uh, orthopedic surgeon, one of them there, and I just I went in for the surgeries. And I just didn't like it. I just mm -hmm. I don't know. I hated it. My aunt was a cardiologist. My other aunt's an anesthesiologist. They were the ones that kind of pushed me that direction. I just didn't like it. And then um, I was telling them how I like hormones and all these different things. They're like, you should do endocrine. And so that's kind of what I wanted. Careful, Spencer. You like hormones? <laughs> <laughs> Not natty. <laughs> half, half natty, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so I, I wanted to do endocrine at one point, um, and that's actually what my brother ended up doing. But I, I was doing some rotations and kind of meeting with these other doctors and saw that obesity medicine was a new and upcoming field. So I started going to these conferences, and they all kind of convinced me to go to family medicine and then eventually the obesity medicine route, which is what I'm doing right now. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a, you know kind of a drawn out story, but basically it was kind of my love for performance and getting me good at athletics that kind of wanted me to take that and then spread it to the general population just to, you know, just at least give my patients a fraction of it to, to make them better. Now for our listeners who aren't familiar, what is the difference between like a, a cause I have a friend who went to a DO school as well. What's the difference between a DO school and like a typical MD school? Yeah. So, um, yeah, cause that's, that's a very common question. So actually, in the states, the DO and the MD degree are equivalent. That used to be where DO's a doctor of osteopathy was only into like musculoskeletal things. We, we uh, the the founder um, Andrew Still was um, basically thought that the, your structure uh, of your body was basically what made um, what gave you disease or gave you function and made you healthy. Obviously, mm -hmm. figured out that wasn't true but so exactly but um it's still kind of a strong belief in osteopathy that 
you know, you, you, you got to have, you know, a, a good uh, mind-body connection type of thing. So, you know, now, it, it, I don't know exactly when it was in the 80s or something, there was a big doctor shortage and they said, hey, we need more, let's start certifying these DOs. And so then eventually there, you know, became these governing bodies that um, standardize it to where we all take board exams and, and actually I, I was in a, a residency after, um, after medical school, you go to a residency. I was in a combined MDDO uh, residency. So I actually took my both my initially my MD and DO boards while in medical school because I wasn't sure which residency I was going to go to. Um, but in, in, for all intents and purposes, they're they're equivalent in the states. They're not equivalent in the Canada or the UK, and they're they're thought of as like just like kind of chiropractors there because they do only musculoskeletal and. You know, I, the the science might be a little bit suspect with some some of it, but I, I can't comment too much on that. Um, but pretty much the same in the states. Understood. Cool. Yeah, I, I, that's that's exactly how my friend described it to me. Um, and so, what what I mean was there was there a triggering point that when you were in endocrinology that made you realize that you what was it about obesity that kind of drew you to that area? Other than obviously, you have a, a large uh, patient pool to pick from. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I just I, I find it really fascinating. So, you know, kind of like how personal trainers and trainers want to help people get in shape. It was like I saw what I did, and I said I, I would love to take people and just transform them. You know, and and, and I, like I really just want to get my patients you know, lean and jacked and sexy kind of thing. And obviously healthy. They, they want to get jacked and sexy. I want to get them healthy and jacked type of thing. So um, I just, I think it's so cool because, you know, you guys get into the very specific macronutrient um, changes. Right. But like little, little bitty changes, like the lowest hanging fruit things that you change with some of these patients with obesity, they, they make enormous transformations yeah. right because so you can't take the, the kinds of people that Lane and I work with tend to be you know more higher level very uh, right. already you know fitness minded advanced whatnot we can do macros with them and they're all fine but I don't you can't I don't think that you know going to a, a, an obese patient and saying all right here's your macronutrient here's your protein carbon yeah. fat intake go go follow them I don't go, think that would be effective at all no, no. So yeah, that's that's, that's what it's so cool because then all of a sudden you see their lab changes and, and also you can manipulate their you know their pharmaceuticals a little bit like you know some people like I you know I sent you guys my book um, but I talk about yeah. how there are a lot of uh, medicines that cause weight gain and so being able to switch them from some of those medicines to more favorable body composition you know uh, medicines it makes a so huge Spencer difference. would you. Now that we're on that topic, would you actually mind, like, I'm sure some of our audience would be interested to know, what are some medications that can cause weight gain, in particular, like, fat gain? Because I know, like, for example, prednisone can cause a lot of weight gain, yeah. but that's mostly from water and hunger, correct? Yeah, yeah. And and, there, and if you are on prednisone chronically, you can have uh, fat deposition around your abdomen. Just there, There's actually a disease called uh, Cushing's disease or in Cushing syndrome where it's hypercortisolism and they get skinny arms and, and limbs and they deposit a lot more fat around their abdomen. Um, so like same kind of thing can happen if you're on long-term prednisone. Unfortunately, if you're someone with a, a you know something like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis type of thing or other diseases that require prednisone. But 
Well, you know, for your for your uh, listeners, some of the most common ones are, are um, you know, antidepressants and um, and even like birth control. Uh, the most common one, yeah, the birth control. So the oral contraceptives, uh, combined contraceptives with estrogen and progesterones. The, the the evidence is kind of mixed on whether they you know cause weight gain or weight loss or whatever. You'll hear a lot of I'm sure you guys hear a lot of stories of people going I gained you know 20 pounds when I started taking the pill. Some right, people right. say yeah. nothing. Well, the the actual the progesterone shot, that's the one that's the only one that's really shown the, a very positive effect of of weight gain. So the progesterone only, and part of that is water, but a part of it is also uh, extra hunger too, and, and some other mm-hmm. possible mechanisms. But so for for you guys as listeners, for the uh, antidepressants, the selective uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the SSRIs, mm-hmm. the one in particular is Paxil or paroxetine. So that one is the of all those medicines in that group. That's the one that causes weight gain. So if you're on that one, you know you may want to talk to your doctor. You know if you're like, hey. I'm on this, and I am struggling to, and I did gain weight, or I am struggling to lose weight. That's the one that you may want to say, "Hey, you know, is there is there another one in this class I could switch to, or whatnot?" Um, now, you know what? What is the? Do you know what the mechanism is for that? Is it the actual mechanism of serotonin, or so uh, is it something else? Yeah, so serotonin, there are receptors up in the hypothalamus. Um, with serotonin, so why so why would one in in the same class cause weight gain, whereas the other ones are kind of you know neutral, or some of them may have a little bit of initial weight loss and then eventual weight gain? I'm not actually sure for paroxetine in particular. I've looked into that, um, and I, I don't know. They've they've kind of tried to look at rat models and things like that. I know for like um, a lot of people are started on these antipsychotic medicines, even if they don't have like schizophrenia or anything like that. A lot of these psychiatrists will use these antipsychotic medicines as like off label for kind of these mood disorders. Hmm. And yeah, so and, and there's a lot of they have a strong histamine um, um, blockade in, in some of these medicines, and that causes excess hunger some there are some proposed mechanisms where you may be um, actually having some nutrient partitioning into fat as opposed to you know uh, muscle of course um, which is really interesting I think because we all think that it just makes us hungrier but some of it if it's possible it may be just shuttling nutrients to fat um, so that it's, it's interesting stuff yeah totally I mean that's that's, uh, you know, I know I've had a lot of clients who are girls who have said, you know, does, does the pill affect it one way? Does it affect the other? And I, I, and I you know, not, not a medical doctor, <laughs> hand going up. Um, but I, I will tell them, I'm like, well, listen, you know, anytime you're putting, you know, exogenous hormones in your body, um, you know, there's a possibility for side effects. And yeah. I, I always try to tell people, you know, whenever you're talking about anything, you know, yeah. well, even, even diet and training, all for every give me, there's a gotcha. You know, you're not yeah. getting anything for free. So you yeah. know, you got to keep that in mind. And you know, you, you know, if if one, so let's say you change your 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 mood drug to something that does not cause weight gain. Well, it's probably going to cause something else. So you know, yeah. I really try to 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 make sure people know that, and obviously um, encourage them to talk to a physician about that when they're when they're doing that sort of stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. It, you know, one of the one of the other common ones that probably not for your listeners, but the, some of the diabetic medicines, um, the older school ones that basically make your pancreas push out more insulin. Those are those are <laughs> ones I try to get. <laughs> they're called sulfonylureas, but uh, oh yeah, they're also PPAR gamma agonists, aren't they? Well, there there are ones like that too, and those will make you gain weight. But it's mostly yeah. that's mostly the water weight. But there is also they do increase uh, adipogenesis, which it's actually th- those actually work because they're making your fat cells more insulin sensitive. So it's a right. good it's a good thing. But I try not to use them because um, you're gonna get fatter. Patients to, yeah, right. So I, I use that later on if they don't want to use obviously insulin. It's kind of my last oral that I use. But yeah, these sulfonylurea drugs they'll actually um, they'll actually basically supercharge your pancreas and you'll push out more insulin and you'll gain more weight. Which, ironically, the the underlying issue of type two diabetes is excess weight and insulin resistance. So you're, you're, you're supercharging them, you're getting their blood sugars down, but you're also destroying the reason they are that way in the first place. So, um, but yeah, yeah. That's, why I, that's why I said it's kind of missing the forest through the trees yep. when you're, when you're, when you're, I think sometimes, um, and I, I deal with this, like not so much with this, but um, with physicians or nurses who, um, you know, they see like a, a high creatinine value or a high uh, liver enzyme value, something like that, on somebody who's a lifter who's eating high protein, yeah. and they say, "Well, you're in liver failure, or you and you know, you're this and that." And I say, "You know, I think sometimes we get to a little bit too dogmatic and focusing on chasing um, indicators in blood as yeah. opposed to like just looking at the person overall and yeah. are they healthy or not, you know?" And um, yeah, I've, I've kind of. I actually I had a funny story. I'll have a funny story for you, Spencer. I'll try to do this quick because I don't want to take up too much time. But I had a client who was a well-trained client, and uh, that her his mother called me. I'd been working with this kid for a while, and she said, "You know, Connor's in the in the hospital. He has uh, he has um, rhabdomyolysis." Yeah. And I, I said, "I mean, then this is somebody who's been training for five or six years. You know, right, right. <laughs> a lot of muscle mass." And I'm like. I'm like really, I don't want to say that I think that's wrong, but I mean, you know this that it's pretty rare in trained people. Um, yeah, no, it's it's that's tough unless I don't even know, I don't even know yeah, what they unless you take somebody you know who a weightlifter and have them do an Ironman or something you know or right, somebody yeah. have an Ironman do a weightlifting routine you know so I I said you know was there did you you know was your did you have like a really really hard workout that day and he said yeah but it wasn't like you know it was my normal you know it was hard but it was my normal routine. And I said, you know, what were your symptoms? He said, well, my, my stomach hurt really bad. You know, I, I said, so is it all centralized there? He said, yeah. And I said, well, no fever or anything? He said, no. And I said, well, what was your, creat- was your creatinine? And it was like, it was like 50 to 70% elevated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, Connor, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to circumvent your physician. And obviously, I, you know, I think you should, if you're really concerned, you know, get some further tests done. But I'm pretty sure you don't have rhabdomyolysis. I said, did you change anything this week? He said, the only thing I changed was I added a probiotic. I said, I'm like, dude, I think you got gas. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, try to, you know, try to fart or try to go to the bathroom and let me know if you feel better. And like eight hours later, he he called me and he's like, yeah, dude, I just had I just had to fart really really bad. <laughs> that was it. So yeah, what happened? He probably he probably had some abdominal pain, which is was just as gas. He went there. They tested his labs, 
and said, whoa, why is this elevated? And then, yep. then, then they probably checked his CK levels, you know, the muscle enzyme breakout. Yeah, I'm sorry, CK, that's what they checked. So, yeah, so that was, so that was probably elevated. And, and they were probably like, oh, my God. But that, like, if you just had a hard training session, I mean, mine's, mine's elevated. You know, my, my creatinine's elevated, right. too. Right. You know, but you but know, the, so the other thing, too, is, is like, like, it was a pretty modest elevation. From what I right. understand with Rabdo, you're looking at like a, a You have a, to have it pretty insane. high. Yeah. yeah, like his was like – like for Rabdo, I think – what is it, like four or five times elevated, something like yeah, that? Yeah, my old doctor used to say ten times, you know. And yeah. It's kind of, I mean like high, high t- thousands, you know. So, uh, yeah, yes. exactly. Obviously, you know, his mother called me and was very, very concerned. <laughs> and I, I was like, well, you know, and I don't – you know, obviously for liability reasons, I don't want to say your doctor's wrong, you know. Right. Oh, but, of course. I'm like, you know, that, that's one thing where, like, I think the, you know, and you probably get this too, that, like, sometimes the medical community, you know, they don't have a lot of exercise and nutrition training unless they're doing a fellowship in that or, right. or, uh, or do a lot of research in that. And so, but who's, who gives a lot of the advice for nutrition and, and exercise? And that's, that's physicians, the family physicians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's, it is interesting because we talk about this a lot. Um, you know, and I, you know, I promote this thing I call docs who lift. You know, try to promote other doctors who are practicing what they preach. They lift and exercise, and yeah, I've seen your. Does your doc even lift? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's supposed Perfect. to be you know funny, but it's it's you know we try to promote other doctors who do that, and it's like, you know, we we get a couple weeks uh, of of classes, maybe a week or two of of just you know the standard, you know, government issued. You know, dietitian comes in and, and and teaches us, which, you know, some people will say it's yeah, it's not in our scope to know. We should be able to refer to a dietitian. But the problem is, is that, you know, people come to us asking us for answers, and so, you know, it's 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 hard. You know, so it's it's like we can't just refer everybody to dietitians. I mean, I've I'm I'm well studied by myself, but like I know a lot of my colleagues, they're they're not. You know, right. so. But the problem is the general population goes to their doctor for this information. And then, and then unfortunately, the doctor, maybe they feel that they need to give them an answer and just give them their best answer. And then the person takes it as, as, as the best answer they can get. <laughs> so right. I actually yeah. think this is really cool because I, I like that you brought this up, Spencer, because I know that uh, there's this huge misconception out there that just because you are a medical doctor, um, you know what you're talking about when it comes to yeah. fat loss and nutrition. And, you know, you go for your general checkup every year and you have your doctor giving out, um, you know, well-meaning, but, you know, c- completely misguided, misinformed um, yeah. nutrition advice and whatnot. What about, um, I know someone was giving me specific numbers, but I, I don't recall them. In medical school, how much or how little actual education do you receive in the realm of uh, nutrition and fat loss? Yeah, so I mean, nutrition. I mean, it's literally a, a couple of weeks, and but it's but it's you know an hour every few days for a couple of weeks, and it's not a lot in fat loss per se. So right. what I actually did, I I have a board certification in obesity medicine, and this is kind of why it's a new kind of an up and coming. Um, um, specialty is because yeah, it's it's sorely needed. People don't know what the hell they're talking about. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, I mean it's it's serious. I mean it's awful, yeah. but it's, 
it's true. So there's actually a board certification for this now. In the past few years, it's new, and I took it. My brother. My, my guess is you guys are really fo- like the two weeks is focused on like nutritional aspects of disease, like yeah. vitamin deficiencies mm. and exactly. that sort of thing. It's medical. Yeah, exactly. Medical nutrition therapy. It's it's not it's not fat loss. It's not you know weight loss. Anything mm-hmm. like that. It's it's mostly yeah medical nutrition therapy. Making sure people get enough nutrients, which is it's so it's so ridiculous because you know people aren't people aren't getting berry or anything you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff like yeah, that. No, very so. few people out there are getting scurvy and whatnot. Yeah. Although it, it does happen from time to time, but <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember one time uh, I took uh, nutritional aspects of disease uh, in graduate school, and um, I remember I'm, I'm sure uh, I, have you watch, did you watch the show House when it was on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, every doc I know says, "Yeah, I watched that show." Um, <laughs> but um, there was one where he had this guy had like gold flecks in his eyes, and I'm like, "Oh, it's Wilson's!" Yeah. <laughs> and, and Isabel looks at me and she's like, "How do you know that?" I'm like, "I just got lucky. It was just this one class." I took. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 too bad, but like I I think this is why it's a new and upcoming thing, and I think with the internet being as powerful as it is and, and, you know, patients kind of, you know, people kind of stepping up and, and, and saying, Hey, you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about. I think, I think it's getting a lot more, um, I, I think there's a lot more information out there to get doctors up to speed. It's not there yet, but, um, it, it, it's, it's on its way. And I kind of promote this whole multidisciplinary approach. I mean, like, I go to the gym with some of my patients cause I want to, I want to teach them, you know, I, I, try to get them lifting weights but like I wish that I had my own trainer in my office that I could in a gym connected to where I could bring them over and say this is the prescription I want the trainer goes and does it I can't I can't be the best trainer in the world I gotta you know I gotta gotta doctor my patients and I and I'm pretty good at nutrition and stuff but it, it would be nice to have someone doing that too and all this other stuff so um just like how I refer to you know, a, a, a neurosurgeon. If somebody has something wrong with their head, or a, or you know, a, a cardiologist. If if there's you know, if they have some arrhythmia or something like that, um, you know, we should be able to refer to a trainer for exercise prescription and stuff like that. But we're a ways off on that too. Spencer, I know I've I've heard you talk about this before with the, you know, in your ideal situation in the future, you'd like to set up a gym where, you know, you have your office and then you can refer people out. Uh, I think that's a really promising model. And honestly, I'm surprised it hasn't really taken place yet. Um, Sounds like such a, you know, has such promise, such promise. And uh, especially with, with, um, how large the obese population is in this country, I can see it being, especially, you know, with the um, the gener- generic gym memberships, you show up, you don't get yeah. any guidance. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's no surprise that people last a few weeks at best before they quit for the large majority of individuals yeah. and they find themselves back at square one. Yeah, no, exactly. It, it, I think it would be an ideal model where the doctor has – a gym connected to it. I know it sounds so meatheadish of me, but I honestly have brought my patients to a local gym and worked out with them, and they just they were so intimidated. But after I worked out with them, with them, they felt awesome and they had all this confidence. And like, yeah, th- so you you send somebody to Planet Fitness and they go in there and they do their little thing, and and that can be fine if if they're gonna do it. But like, 
that those places are meant for people just to stop going. I mean, right. That's their business model is designed to not have people show up. Yeah. So I, I think it would be so cool. I mean, you know, the business model aspect of it would be kind of like almost like a kind of like a concierge medicine, but the, the, the retainer fee would be going towards the gym, you know? So, um, yeah, no, I think it would be so cool. And it's exercise is the best prescription I can prescribe. If some, if one of my patients starts lifting and exercising and obviously eating better, there's nothing more powerful than that uh, for, for chronic disease. Anyway, you're, abs- you're absolutely right about that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you something that you can probably relate to, Spencer. I, I worked under uh, Dr. Don Lehman at the University yeah. of Illinois. Yep. And um, we, we did a lot of our diets, the, our high-protein diet, quote-unquote, was based around kind of like a zone-type diet, so like yeah. a 30-40-30 diet, right. um, which I always hesitate saying that because people are going to go, oh, my God, that must be the magic diet. No, but <laughs> it's, it's – it was it, – you know, for, I think for most people, that's a reasonable diet, yeah, you know. Very, um, very and, and anyway, so he was able to show that in like four weeks of taking somebody who's obese and borderline type 2 diabetic – Four weeks of keeping them on that diet, you basically, other than their H1AC, you couldn't tell that they were diabetic. Yeah. Um, just just that consistency. I think it was like 1,700 calories a day or something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's amazing. And I, I, I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on this um, because I think a lot of people, they end up intimidating themselves out of not trying because they're like a really obese person. So somebody who's 200 pounds overweight or 100 pounds overweight or, or pick, you know, they say, well, I'll never be able to get to, to being lean. But right. the research data tends to, seems to show that you can be overweight and still fit uh, yeah. based on every measurable, mm-hmm. every measurable marker we have, like blood pressure, blood lipids. Um, can you comment on that? Because I think a lot of people have this, this feeling that, you know, and, and se- first off, um, just because you have six pack and abs does not mean you're healthy. I think we all can agree with right. that. We've seen some right. very, very unhealthy people who are very lean. Yeah. So, right. uh, can you give us your perspective on that? Yeah, it's it's this whole um, uh, fat but fit type of thing, or um, uh, healthy obese. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 on the inside that counts, is what what we say is is it's your internal physiology that counts. So. Yeah, if you're sedentary, you're obese, and especially well, you know the abdominal obesity is the worst. When we start controlling for BMI, it's that waist circumference that's really the most hazardous. So, there are people that yeah, if if you know if they're if they have a high cardiorespiratory fitness, you know they're they're able to go out and and get some good aerobic training in, resistance training in. Their risk of dying is much lower than somebody that's sedentary, even though that they are obese. You know, I don't, I don't see too many people with a very high cardiorespiratory fitness that's in what, you know, that class 2, class 3 obesity, and that's over like a 35, 40 BMI. But, but if, if, if they are that and they start trying and getting down there and starting to uh, exercise hard, they absolutely can improve their uh, risk factors and, and risk of dying. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. So um, that's why I like to promote it, the exercise as medicine as, as much as possible. Spencer, well, speaking of, sorry, Lane, um, speak, right. speaking of uh, obese individuals, I know that um, especially last year you had a number of articles that you wrote that, that got shared a lot on Facebook and all across social media um, because you touched a lot, a lot of topics, really uh, sensitive topics, so to speak, um, regarding misconceptions surrounding indiv- uh, obese individuals, namely, 
are are obese individuals obese because they're lazy? Um, What about this attitude with fit-minded people looking, you know, having that holier-than-thou attitude? Um, What do you think are the biggest uh, misconceptions about obese individuals? Yeah, so what we all think, and this is what I used to think in high school too, um, I'll be honest, and, and a little bit in college, but as I've learned, it's it's changed, my attitude's changed, is that obesity is a disease of laziness, What mm-hmm. and that's and that's actually, I, I would argue against it because um, learning about the physiology and everything about it, and, and just it's much even more than the physiology, but as we become obese, there's so many driving factors to keep us obese. I mean, I know Lane talks about this, just, you know, metabolic adaptation or, and, and, uh, never heard of it. Adapt- <laughs> adaptive thermogenesis. So, you know, there's so many drivers. So as we even try to, so someone who's, who has obesity, their, it, it could be their hunger, could be their, uh, reward center is a little bit skewed to where they have these forces that make them want to eat more. And when they try to lose weight, there's forces to make them go right back up to that weight. It's kind of the whole set point thing or settling point. And there's a lot of factors that make them want to do that, whether it's their genetics, epigenetics, or just their physiology or their environment. Um, so I, I talk about how it's, it's not just a, a laziness thing. It's not just, you know what, I'm going to decide to eat less. Because going on a diet, I mean, as you guys know, when you got down to very lean levels, you're probably pretty hungry, right? I mean, I know I did my... Yeah, it's hard. I did one contest. I did one contest, and I, I mean, like by the end, it was like, oh my god! I mean, I was just, it, it was, it was miserable. So, mm-hmm. think of someone with obesity who has a set point higher, you know, three hundred, four hundred pounds, and they are on, you know, fifteen hundred calorie diet, and they've gotten down to, you know, whatever. They've gotten down to two hundred pounds, and they're still overweight or, or considered obese. They're, but they're miserable because of these hormonal and physiologic changes. So, like, it's easy for us to say, continue to eat less, and then you got to exercise more. But they're freaking tired because their their <laughs> their energy is so in the tank from eating fifteen hundred calories, and they can't go down any further because they're so hungry. So, uh, you know, this is where I get into a lot of the pharmacology of of obesity uh, medicine. And, and a lot of the physiology, but you know that's kind of why uh, uh, bariatric surgery is thought to work. Maybe is is that not only are there physiologic changes and anatomy changes, of course, but we think that maybe it resets the set point to where all of a sudden um, we beat that uh, physiologic drive to regain weight. Of course, a lot of people with surgery do regain their weight, but um, it's just one of the thoughts out there. Yeah, I, th- I think I think. Um I think the, I mean, and obviously I'm not an expert on this, but based on data I've seen that, that with bariatric surgery, a lot of what's driving is just forced behavior modification. You know, basically it's almost like a, an alcoholic taking an abuse, you know, like yeah. they can drink, but they're going to get really sick. You yeah, know? That's, so if you, that's definitely part of it at the beginning. They get this dumping yeah. because they're, they're short guts now. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that is part, yeah. But uh, like you said, I mean, you can stretch those those staples. You can exercise. Your stomach is very elastic, so you can kind of get around that over time. Um, yeah. So that's where we talk about the, you know these habit changes. So mm-hmm. you can go and cut their whole intestines and stomach out, but if if they didn't change their habits, if they're not, they they will regain that weight. There's only you know it's a powerful tool, but 
the you know my brother always says champions find a way <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you exactly. more you'll you'll figure it out and they do yeah. so that's why the behavioral part is so strong or needs to be so strong there well let's take a break real quick i think this is a good stopping point um we'll come back and we'll we'll expand a little bit on some of these on some of these points and uh and ask you a few more questions um you listen to physique science radio Hey guys, Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I can eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. MyOatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right, 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds. And you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend. And they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want. And the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com and check out some of the blends that have already been made. Or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. Hey guys, many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches. And certainly, there's more than enough of those to go around. But a lot of times people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of Pro Physique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends, and I can say with absolute certainty, I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him, because I've done that. Paul Ravella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys. Hey guys, you know me and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal, I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber and these are packed. 
with 20 grams of high quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram at questnutrition and youtube.com slash questnutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious. Hey guys, one of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. And 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab, and click on BioLane Foundation, and you can put your donation in through there. Or, if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations. You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohee Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us, read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohee's website at sohifit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future. I'm your host, Lane Norton, with my co-host, Sohi Lee, and we're talking to Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, and uh, we're talking about fat loss, fat gain, uh, is it fat people's fault, is it not their fault, um, and and I, I so I, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say I'm in the middle ground with regards to this subject, I, I, I'm definitely, I definitely was with you, Spencer, in that I thought for a long time fat people were just lazy, they're just lazy, they're not, they're not trying, but if you look at the if you if you ever want to be depressed go look at the diet literature in terms of the effectiveness of diet on weight mm-hmm. loss and look yeah. at the lo- look at the long term literature i think becoming obese is somewhat your fault in that genetics only loads the gun and behavior pulls the trigger right mm-hmm. Now, some people are definitely more predisposed and some people are just protected, just like some people can go and smoke every day and live till 95, right? Yeah. Um, so we, 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 we have to understand that. We have to understand some people are more genetically disposed. Um, the, the problem becomes once you get to that higher body fat level and you maintain it for any period of time, uh, to lose it – I mean the research data – what it basically says, and I'm sure you know this, is that if you if you don't want to be fat, never become fat because you're not getting it off once you do. Right. It's 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 rare. It's it's you're you're more likely to to regain it than you are to keep it off. I mean that's yes, you know there, there, there are percentages out there. Some say only five percent keep it off. Some say you know it goes up to like forty, fifty, and some of these studies. Yeah, it depends. Mostly it depends on the duration after they look. Yeah. Like if you look one year after, it's like 50% up to 70% regain it. If it's yeah. two years, it's like 70 to 80. Yeah. And then past three years, you're usually looking at above 90%. So yeah. it depends on what you 
term as diet success. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like I always tell people, like we we don't have a problem losing weight. We're actually really good at it. Like six out, of, I think six out of every seven obese people will end up losing a significant amount of body weight in their life. But the problem is, is they they just don't keep it off. Yep. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, it's it's that's and this is exactly what we talk about at these conferences is how do we how do we get weight maintenance? I mean, it, it's like you said, everybody everybody can pretty much lose weight. I mean, most people. There are some people that it's kind of tough because you know for whatever reason. But but yeah, that's why we talk about these these medicine. Do we add in a medicine to basically stop that physiologic hunger drive or whatever it is you know that works up in your brain to keep you you know keep you sane type of thing or or what or is it the surgery or you know whatever the whatever you did to lose the weight you gotta you gotta keep doing it so like you know we all see people go on a diet and all of a sudden they just they go off of it that was like their their diet right there was the medicine that you're supposed to take every day and the diet or the exercise plan too they go off you know I have a lot of college athlete buddies wrestlers jacked wrestlers that I see now that are just they're obese, and I'm just like, how the heck did that? Wow! Happen? And and it's because they were. Used if to I that. can, if I can interject real quick, yeah. Um, yeah. because you know, uh, I'm I'm the metabolic damage guy, uh, which I yeah. Look, I don't want to get into that, but I I've always said that damage is the wrong term. I just use the popular term when talking about it. Uh, but Lyle can be pissed at me for eternity if he wants. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually a lot of research in um, people who wait cycle, like yeah. wrestlers and uh, Olympic athletes. In fact, there was a study, I think it was some European country. I can't remember the, the European country, but basically they looked at um, athletes who had to wait cycle, um, so make weight classes, versus athletes who didn't, and they tracked them throughout the rest of their lives. And what they found was that athletes who had to make weight repeatedly um, ended up putting on a, a lot more body fat over the course of their life, like a, a really significant amount. I think it was something like six kilos, I want to say, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, would, it would be interesting to know, is it because – well, so my, my theory is, is I don't know if it's you know, something from their metabolic, uh, their metabolic rate changing or what, or if it's – I mean they were used to very high intense, you know, couple hour long practices – and right. they, I mean, I would, I, they would, I was a heavyweight, so they'd always be like, oh, you can eat whatever you want. But I actually didn't do that. I would, I was kind of like a bro heavyweight, you know, I, <laughs> I chicken, lots of chicken breast, you know, rice and, 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 and broccoli type of thing. Whereas the other guys, they would be eating pizza and, and whatever, and then they'd cut weight just to, just to make weight. Well, now they're still eating that crap and not actually doing this high and, you know, long, you know, practices with high intensity exercise and they're just, and they just don't do anything. I, I don't, I don't even know, but it's, it's very interesting. And so, um, yeah, so, but you know, a lot of my patients, of course, they're not, you know, they were never college athletes and they just right. slowly just keep putting on the weight until I'm like, I see that I'm like, Hey man, you're, you, you, your blood sugars <laughs> in the diabetic range, you know, are you interested in using exercise and nutrition to fix that and, and a lot of them a lot of them like that approach too I will say as opposed to just going I got I know a lot of other doctors that basically go hey you piece of shit you know type of thing <laughs> no. I mean not, not really but they wag their fingers and kind of go hey you got to lose weight you're getting better and they as they as they are overweight themselves <laughs> well right and and so the patients they they just kind of 
they put up this wall when that happens. And right, it's just, makes them more resistant to change. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, so, yeah, so it's kind of like, all right, we got to get these people exercising and, and eating better. How do we do it? You know, there's a lot of psychology involved. I don't know. It's 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 fun seeing it happen, though, when it does happen. Well, I so think... Go ahead, so. Uh I think one of the biggest things when it comes to, uh, and we can see it especially in the obese population, is, is our um, lack of understanding and misunderstanding of how behavior change actually works. Um, that's when we get, you know, because you said, Spencer, that, or in lane two, that people, you know, you're, you're in good shape in college and then years later you're obese, but Spencer, you turned out okay. Yeah. Right. So, and I, and I, and you were talking about how (laughs) one might argue, but Spencer in college, you were talking about how you had actually a relatively healthy diet even back then. So it's not hard. It's, it's easier for you to keep doing what you've been doing. Yeah. Um, and that serves you well, whereas for other people eating pizza all the time, and then you have that, but you're taking away the all the intense physical exercise, then then they find themselves in this enormous caloric surplus. Right. So I, I kind of talk about how you know I know we all you've seen the the cartoon about the white privilege, you know, and and the 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 person come, you know, <laughs> have you seen the cartoon, the comic thing? Yes, I have. Yeah. So. You know, so it's, I, 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 careful I'm, though, careful. No, I, 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 <laughs> I, I spoofed it and made one for obesity. You know, so it, it's of course extreme. But so you got one, you got one guy, and and I, I compare. I, I say it's me. I was brought up with a very extremely good, um, you know, the gene- I think in a good genetic pool, everybody seems to be pretty lean and, and athletic. And with a very good, whether it's genetics or my upbringing, it was, it was, it was good. You know, my. Um, well, your that, environment um, too, because they were into uh, sports and yeah. physical exercise, all that sort of thing. And, and and so, from a very young time, I was I was I was given a lot of nurturing, and and maybe I had some good nature on on the side too. And then, so then I you you, you look at the other side of the comic, and it's someone that's um their their mom was obese when um, she was pregnant. And she was sedentary, and so you know, from a genetic and epigenetic standpoint, um, th- that patient is going to have some genes, you know, uh, potentially uh, promoting obesity in that in that patient already. Then the child grows up, has some, you know, doesn't have a good upbringing, has some behavior issues. The doctor puts them on one of those off-label, you know, drugs that causes weight gain type of thing. I mean, I'm just making an extreme case here, right? Mm-hmm. But but so. So then later on, this, this person has gained all this weight through childhood, slowly gained weight, and, and never had built any good habits in childhood. And now here they are, 35, 40 in my office with you know pretty much pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes. And I'm like, holy cow. Like you should just eat less and move more. Like oh, that. thank, thank you. But, Very helpful. <laughs> right, you know what I mean. So like, so like this I, is like this is like when Gary Taubes or Fred Hahn. Like I think I I think I I like had a freak out moment at the Epic Conference. Now I, I like was mocking them and said, you know, I know metabolism is complex and nuanced, but I'm pretty sure it's just carbs. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's that's actually you know. So my brother and I go to these conferences, and and these are the smartest you know people, uh, obesity researchers, and and we all know that you know processed carbohydrates have a, a role in this in this whole obesity epidemic. But it's it's a small little piece of the puzzle here that right. you know, and, and so the fact that they just say We've nope, had processed it's, carbs for a long time. Right. The, the fact that it's just insulin, nope, it's insulin and processed carbs. We're kind of like, okay, Jesus, man, come on, guys. Let's get with the picture. So anyway, back to the, you know, I, I don't, we're not going to talk about white privilege or anything here. I just, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was a, a, a funny analogy. So that's why I made the cartoon for the, um, ob, you know, obese, because you got me on, on one side and, you know, I'm sure, I don't know what your upbringing was, Lane, but you, you seem like you've, you've been working your ass off for a long time and you continue to and you talk about it. And it's, it's very important uh, to us and it's part of my life. But someone right. that hasn't had it since they were young and they never learned those habits, I don't know. I mean, we could probably go back and forth and, on that, but <laughs> it's, it's sure. interesting, the dichotomy, you know. Yeah, for sure. So I, I guess um, what – so I, we have Sohi and I kind of our own ideas about you know how to how to help people you know get healthier get you know keep lose the weight and keep it off essentially or or keep more of it off. I think that especially if you're talking about a lot of weight gain, I think some regain is almost inevitable. Right. Um, you know, and I've had people who you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to plug reverse dieting too much, but cause everybody responds differentially to this, but it was, that was kind of a concept that, that I looked at because I was like, all right, well, you know, if you want to get lean or leaner, all right, we have to have these habits, right? But mm -hmm. if it takes us 1500 calories a day to get to where we want, are we going to maintain 1500 calories a day for the rest of our life? Right. Um, because for some people that's just not worth it, you know, in terms of their exactly. lifestyle. So I started thinking about, well, could we slowly add calories and does the rate of calorie adding in make a difference, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm sure you've seen the, the Facebook battles and whatnot. Oh, yeah. um, and, and, you know, just, I mean, again, it's one of those things that there's no published data for it, but I can tell you from an anecdotal, you know, from hundreds of clients that there does seem to be something there. Now, some people res respond a lot better than others. But I've even had some people, for example, who I've had them. I had one guy in particular. She's in Australia, a uh, really nice girl. And uh, she wasn't obese by any stretch. She was a competitor. But she had put on more weight than she wanted in the off season. Mm -hmm. And we, we dieted her down. We got her ready for some shows. She did well. We had to get pretty aggressive by the end. We were probably down to around 1,200, 1,300 calories a day. And we reversed her. And she basically maintained stage weight all the way up to like, I want to say like 1,900 calories a day. Wow. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we, 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 at that point I, she said, you know, I'm going to take the reins over myself. I feel very comfortable. I'm happy with this level of intake, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I thought that was fine. And she came back like about a year later and had, hadn't regained all the weight, but had regained quite a bit. And I think what happens is sometimes when we gain, when we gain that weight, we kind of set ourselves up to the point where if we're not always mindful that is our default that we're going to default back to. And so even if we're not like actively dieting, we really have to keep like a, a mindful, mindful mindset, if that makes sense. No, no, uh, it does. In approaching things. And, uh, but I wanted to get your perspective on what you think are some things that can be done essentially to, to, 
basically to help people lose weight and keep it off. Yeah. Uh, so, so he and I basically think that you know, one, um, learning how to diet in a balanced way that you don't don't you know you don't demonize food groups and whatnot, and then basically teaching people how to understand what's in food so that they can continue to do that. Yep. Yeah, right. So that's exactly you know what I talk about in my, in my book is is what how do we actually do this? So, kind of the steps for me is you know I think. Everybody needs some sort of support group or accountability or both coach support group teaching them how to do this, but also the accountability aspect. So my patients that are trying to lose weight, they have to see me every month or every other month. Um, and we pretty much do that for good until we kind of, once they've gotten to their maintenance weight, maybe it's every, you know, every three months, but they check in with me monthly online or something like that. So whatever that, you know, I said, whatever that was to get them down to that weight, they, we have to figure out how to continue that and whether that's, you know, checking in, adherence. You know, some of these long-term studies show the, the people that show up to the most meetings, uh, check in the most, they're the ones that keep the weight off. And whether that's a selection bias or whatever you want to call it, um, could be. Um, but, yeah, so figuring out, you know, the key to, to, to adherence for the long term is, is what we need to do. And I think... Part of it is that um, checking in, you know, having a coach, having those support groups. And that's also, you know, I talk about the medicines and stuff. Do they, hey, maybe they do need to stay at, stay at that 1,500 calories if, in order to get down to what they want for their weight. And in order to do that, they need a medicine. Or, or like you said, yeah, it's inevitable that they're going to gain weight. And then we talk about, hey, you don't want to be miserable, but let's get you to a weight where you feel comfortable and you're happy with what you know with your health and and your the way you look and everything like that but it may not be the lowest you were so yeah no it's interesting stuff really what about from an everyday uh behavior standpoint what do you like to see in your patients yeah so um i for some patients yeah i know some people like to do the just one habit at a time thing i think it really just depends on on their capabilities i have some patients that I can give them a few things. They can, they can start an exercise plan right away and uh, do two or three type of habits. So the, the general things are, you know, things that you guys already talked about, but making sure they're not drinking any of their calories unless it's a, a protein shake. Mm -hmm. um, you know, focusing on the vegetables and fruit first and then getting their lean protein in with that. Um, you know, this is very, very basic things but just patients <laughs> they don't like so for example I had a patient that drank four or five cokes a day cokes and that's a what, what is it I mean that's a lot calories. of calories that's 800 calories right so if they sw literally switch that to water or coke zero or something like that which is what we we agreed on he's going <gasps> to switch coke zero Monsanto and Coca-Cola and aspartame shill. Yeah, so I am a, I I am a, I'm a, I'm a fake, fake sweetener shill. <laughs> yeah, so, and so yeah, actually, you know, there, you know, my brother and I just wrote a, a med page today lifestyle medicine column about that, about how like there's, there's a few pretty big studies out recently that show that actually it's possible that switching to an artificial sweetened beverage from a regular sweetened with sugar 
might be actually be more beneficial than switching to water, which is interesting yeah. to me. God, heaven forbid you propose that online. You will get people, I did. People got pissed Hang off. on. More beneficial in what way? They lose so more weight. They lose more weight, maybe. It's, it's, it's weird. Why is that? Is, is it from a behavior standpoint? Well, I don't... I don't you don't know? Well, Interesting. I mean, if you, weird. If you want to look at, you know, how... And I'm not a hunger expert, but I did, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, <laughs> so I took a, a semester course on hunger, and it made me realize how much I didn't know uh, about hunger because it's an enormously complex thing. Yeah. I would compare it to, like, immunology in terms of oh, complexity. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's really cool. Um, but what you find is that, like, a lot of hunger regulation is, like, the hypothalamus and the arcuate nucleus yeah. to be specific and the the so my guess is that perhaps having that and because because people think insulin triggers hunger and that's not necessarily correct insulin actually has an effect on the brain on decreasing hunger um, now obviously if you have insulin dysregulation that can get all wonky but right. um, so if you were having a sweetened beverage, perhaps it's transmitting some of those signals uh, to the brain to tell you that you're full, and maybe the people don't eat as much. I mean, that's a. Yeah. I can tell you f uh, for anecdotally that if I'm hungry, dieting on prep or something like that, if I have a Coke Zero, it'll buy me an extra thirty minutes before my next yeah. meal. You know? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and they, in the articles, there, there are a few proposed mechanisms because there are there were there were some other studies that maybe said no, switching to water is better, but. Actually, it's it's not it's not clear cut, and there's uh, there's a randomized trial showing that switching to artificial sweeteners instead of the um, instead of the water might be better. But yeah, I, I always say if you can switch to water, otherwise let's switch to a diet soda because then everybody says, oh, but your microbiome, your gut microbiome, oh, well, and I'm like, hey, you know, come on, let's let's not get a little bit sensational about this because it's yes. really easy to. I mean, it's it, that's a it's a trigger topic. People people. I always think that anti-artificial sweetener people basically never found the right religion, and that this is their religion. Yeah, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's bizarre. I'm I, you know people got mad at me like you're supposed to be a doctor. I'm like I, I, I'm just I'm showing you what this study said. And mm -hmm. I, no, I, I like don't to hate drink, me, hate the data, bro. <laughs> I, I like to drink a fresca, damn it, with my with my. <laughs> I drink my fresca. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, we could do a whole show on kind of uh, food zealotry. I mean, we saw it, you know, uh, and I don't want to I don't want to you know dump on Gary Taubes too much, but I think that and you talked about this like smart people can have cognitive dissonance, you know, yeah. and I think Gary Taubes is a smart smart guy. Yeah. Um, I've read some of his stuff. I think a lot of his stuff's really good, but um, like he has this cognitive dissonance when it comes to carbohydrate that. It's the end all evil, and I, I see the same thing with, with artificial sweeteners. I actually remember reading a blog post from from some lady, um, and uh, who was a, a quote unquote expert, and she was saying that how bad artificial sweeteners were for you. And I actually responded and posted several studies showing that no, they don't do these things you talk about. <laughs> um, and uh, she said, well, I will never believe anything that that uh, that suggests artificial sweeteners are safe. I said, well, I guess we. So there's no way of having any kind of logical conversation, smart conversation with her. No, I mean, at that point, you're arguing with a religious zealot, mm. you know. And I'm not, I'm not looking to slam on religion or anything like that. Um, there but you, are. you know, <laughs> oh my God, I just lost half our audience. No, I, I actually, I, 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 I don't. So I, same thing. I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with religion. I, the, the problem is, is zealotry, you know. And yeah. I think, I think more than anything, people. 
I don't want to go too far off on this tangent, but I think people want something like to belong to. And so they look at those and they go, uh, you know, because it's, let's be honest, it's very easy to convince somebody in this age of click and share um, article that, you know, you can demonize anything. I mean, Spencer, I put something on my Instagram. It was obvious satire. It was about dihydrogen monoxide used in Subway. Did you see this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I in in the post I said like in big bold letters the first line this is satire. Yeah. Right. It just as kind of a sociological experiment. I I don't know if you read the comments, but at least twenty percent of people took it seriously. <laughs> and I'm like, I just I, I like in the comments I couldn't help it. I I, I said, how can you be this dumb? Like I, 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 I'm like flabbergasted that people are actually the stupid, you know? So when people say, people like say now, oh, Lane, people can't be that stupid. I'm like, oh, yes, they can. Yeah. Yes, they can. So, I, but I think it's like, you know, I don't want to go around psychoanalyzing people, but, but, but long story short, <laughs> drink your diet Coke, damn it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, th- I think that, you know, again, like you said, I, I'm I'm not ready to buy the data that that it's 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 better than water. Like I'm very skeptical of that. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think at the minimum, what we can say is it's not worse than water for right. weight loss. It, it's yeah. it's fine if you want to incorporate that. Yeah, I I, I you know I kind of make the analogy of the nicotine patch. You know, you're smoking and you you want to quit, so you get on a nicotine patch until you until you're done with it. You know, and so yeah, if you wanted to go from regular to diet. Before you switch to water, fine. I don't know. You know, as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem harmful. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know people can go back and forth with these rat studies, just giving them mountains of it. But um, whatever. Yes, <laughs> that's. I always like the the idea that the dosage makes the poison is completely lost on even on even scientists. Sometimes is yeah. mind boggling to me. Is that you realize that like you can make damn near anything a poison? Yeah. In, in the right dose, like even water. Water is a poison in the right dose. You know. Right. And, well, take, um, take alcohol. You know that we think that maybe one to two drinks a night maybe maybe beneficial, at least not harmful. Sure. <laughs> you start drinking four, five, six. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's I think dose curves are you know. You look at almost anything. There's like a there's kind of a, a bell curve in yeah. terms of. Okay, this intake is is probably too little. Like protein is this way. This intake is probably too little. This is just right, and this is too much. You yeah. know. Same and, with and exercise. So, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if you, that's a great point because you look at like what we, what I do. You know, powerlifting on a really high level. You look at you know Ironman uh, marathons. You know, are we healthier than the average person? Yeah, probably. Is it the healthiest exercise we could do? Probably not. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's when you're taking it to that extreme, it's pretty yeah. hard on your body. Yeah, it is exactly. So, so, so. Anyways, I I interrupted you with a long diatribe about <laughs> artificial sweeteners and uh, and uh, tangent about zealots. Uh, please continue, kind of telling us your. It seems like you're a big fan of basically like the the idea of don't just give a man a fish, teach a man to fish. And yep. you know, he'll he'll eat for life. So kind of really teaching and stressing that like lifestyle and behavior modification. Yep, yep, exactly. And, and you know, I, I think like a, a bro. You know, is that you know people talk about 
you got to eat your vegetables and your chicken breasts and then, and sirloin and stuff. But it's like, no, this is actually true. I mean, you want to you want to get the least amount of calories and the most amount of nutrients for your patients, especially to make sure that they're not miserable and hungry. You teach them how to actually make it taste good, and all of a sudden they're getting way less calories, you know, and 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 good tasting food and and losing a lot of fat there and so not feeling miserable. So. It's you know it's very simple stuff, but it's it's really getting the patients to buy in and and adhere to it. Not some crazy you know fad grapefruit diet for a, a month or something like that. Just some you know you got to kind of sell it to them, but it's just general good stuff. You know, so that's that's pretty much it. Okay, but Spencer, question for you. I've been wondering this for a long time. Do we have to wear? <laughs> do we have to wear? Short shorts to <laughs> to get jacked and ripped like you. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much my secret. <laughs> because that's what I see. So correlation equals causation, right? Just kidding, I guys. That, I know that you have that as your screensaver. <laughs> no, wrecked. Anytime I get a message from you, that's the image that pops up. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you guys. Spencer, alone. what was was it the uh, this photo of you barbell lunging down your neighborhood street in short shorts? Oh my gosh! Yeah, my neighbors just they they thought I was crazy because you know the, I have my my garage is my gym. I, right. I decided in residency I wasn't gonna be able to get to the gym at all, so I decked out a garage gym. Just I mean like, which is an awesome investment, by the way. If, I think for anyone who can afford it and has the means, definitely do it. It'll save you so much time. Yeah, you know, some people like to be a little bit more. Um, you know, they like to talk to people at the gym. They like being around other people. Oh, no, I man. do too, but I just I, I don't have enough time, and I don't want to wait for the you know the squat rack or the bench press, whatever it is. Don't lie, now, you hate people. I, what's that? Don't lie, you hate people. <laughs> I, I, everybody, but like seriously, my my dumbbells go up to one fifty. Wow, nice. So, yeah, so it's like I have everything there, and so yeah, my my I used to crank up the music, open it, open up the garage. I mean, and just. Short, short, shorts. I mean, just, and just and we have a back alley. We had a back alleyway, so I just start lunging down the the way, and then a car would come. And, and what is this guy doing? <laughs> well, it's all right. I, I wear tights to work out. I can I respect that. I, so I just you know I just I, but I'm just old and I don't care anymore. So yeah, it's like screw it, whatever. Nobody <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, great. Well, uh, I think – did you have anything else you wanted to ask, Spencer? Zoe? No, I think – I actually want to hear about your book. I think it would be great for the listeners to hear. Yeah, what is the title of your book? What yeah. it is it about? Where can we find it? Yeah, it's it's The Fat Loss Prescription. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, paperback, and Audible versions. It's a, it's a nice short read because um, I, I didn't want to have any fluff – not a ton of theory in there, just a lot of practical takeaways. And it's meant for, you know, one of my patients, someone with obesity. But if you are interested in any of the medicines that cause weight gain, I, I included pretty much all of them except for the HIV medicines, which, you know, I don't know. It's not really funny. It's just, it's just most people, not a ton of people are on Dark HIV. Dark so. <laughs> Dark humor. Um, so I read it. I think the day after you sent it to me, Spencer, and one of the biggest takeaways that I got from your book, which I think is really overlooked, is that sometimes, you know, exercising consistently and being in a caloric deficit is not enough to see fat loss results. And um, especially when you have a medical issue that may be in the way. And this is not the kind of um, population that Lane and I normally 
work with, but it was still, I could really, I really gained a true appreciation for um, that type of individual. You know, we yeah. don't come across that every day, Lane and I. Yeah, and so I mean, and so it's, it would it would kind of be good for everybody to kind of realize, you know, what what kind of goes through a, someone with obesity, what, what what goes through their mind, what what kind of struggles do they have? Because mm-hmm. I know we just pretty much, you know, I know a lot of the fit pros kind of look at people with obesity as just lazy assholes, you know. And so I try to make it seem like no, these are people they're trying. It's 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 a hard thing to overcome, but you know, with the right tools, we can overcome it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think uh, I, I think more emphasis needs to be given. Just like we tell people with a d- disease, prevention is is better than a cure. Yeah. And uh, I think the same thing with obesity. You know that if we could, and I think that starts with education. You know, we don't learn anything about nutrition in school, but you know, just even teaching parents yeah, and, and didn't you? <laughs> what's that? Didn't you get the food pyramid in elementary school? <laughs> yeah, I, I turned it upside down. Uh, <laughs> so, but I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, just giving people, like even if you can just kind of teach people what's in food and, and how to eat mindfully essentially, I think you're going to be pretty far ahead of the game. But it's just, you know, it's it's like it's like getting people, sitting people down to try and teach them how to budget. Like it's just, <laughs> it's uh, – Pretty hard uh, to to get people excited about that. Yeah, exactly. Well, Doc, we we really appreciate your time. Uh, where can they find that book? Yep, Amazon.com. Um, the the fat loss prescription, and then if you or if you want to go to my site, it's just drspencer.com. D r s p e n c e r dot com. Um, I also have it there on the on the side. If you want to just click on that. And Spencer is also uh, really active on Facebook, too. So if you want to um, be entertained and on any given day, you can probably pop on over to his page, and he's probably got some um, con- interesting conversation going on. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Spencer, not uh, Nadolsky. Right. Mm-hmm. There, and you can also get me on Twitter, at Dr. Nadolsky. Awesome. I think Spencer's one of the few people on the internet that I haven't uh, haven't argued with or haven't, uh, haven't been in a, yet. In a face with. Yet. yet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good, that's because you're, you're a bro. You're a bro. Uh, that's just. Well, don't worry. We'll we'll get there. We'll, we'll get find there. something. Find something. <laughs> yeah, we. You know, we we should probably start like a, a a beef. You know, because apparently like that that helps like uh, get followers for both people. Yeah. So you know, if we started like some kind of fake beef, <laughs> you know, we could get more followers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Yeah, we'll, we'll start talking about metabolic damage and reverse. <laughs> <laughs> Too long. Um, no, Spencer, in all seriousness, we appreciate you coming on to the show. Uh, it was entertaining, enlightening, and I, I think Sohi and I definitely could say we both learned a few things. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I love talking to you guys. Absolutely. Well, guys, you've been listening to Physique Science Radio with Spencer Nadolsky, uh, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Please go to Amazon and check out his book. And uh, until next time, we'll be back. You're listening to Physique Science Radio. Thanks for listening.